This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. Today, my guest is Carrie Gallant. She inspires and empowers leaders to be authentic, negotiate more powerfully, and to amplify their ask so they can access more of their financial freedom, recognition, and rewards they crave and deserve. She's the founder of the Gallant Leader Institute and creator of the Art of Negotiation for Women program and the Earn Your Worth Leaders Lab, a dynamic speaker, leadership coach, and pay a pay equity advocate, Carrie brings her experience as an executive, former practicing lawyer, and adjunct law professor to her work in helping clients master the art and science of negotiation and influence and to lead authentically. As a negotiation consultant, Carrie provides strategic consulting and skills training workshops for global companies. She's certified in conversational intelligence and authentic leadership for teams. So welcome, Carrie. Well, thank you, Michelle. I'm delighted to be here. I'm really excited to have you here as we talk about um, ROAR, which is Resilience, Optimism, Accountability, and Resourcefulness. So of those, is there one that you specifically resonate with? Oh, wow. I, I don't think I could choose just one. I, I resonate with all of them. I mean, obviously, the authenticity piece it shows up in, in, uh, in the work that I do uh, right up front in terms of some of the taglines. Um, you know what? Resilience is, is such a great word. I'm so delighted that you're using that in your business and in this, pod, in this, uh, in this podcast, in this uh, uh, framework here, because I really think that resilience is something that we build over time. And I absolutely think that negotiation is a great part of that for women to be resilient is to be able to negotiate for what they want. Oh, I agree. Absolutely having the knowledge that you can get what you want as opposed to thinking that you have to settle for what somebody else is going to give you. Absolutely. Yeah, and I also appreciate that you said that resilience is built up over time because it is, and it's, it's not something that we just are born with. Like, I've got more of it than you do or vice versa. So it's... Um, one of the things that I'm hoping that people learn from our podcasts is how to uh, begin building that resilience up so that they can handle more of what goes on in their life. So do you have a specific story for resilience in your life? Oh, uh, goodness. Um, let's see. You know, I, I don't know if I have a specific event um, or a specific story on that. I think uh, just building on what we were talking about, that idea of it building over time, it's the, I would say that through the course of various experiences, some perhaps not so pleasant, and mm-hmm. others others affirming that it's, it's in that journey of learning that to succeed at what we want to bring into the world, what, what I you know, I've learned, and I learned it over and over again, is I have to be willing to make mistakes. I have to be willing to accept, quote, failures, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to risk that in order to grow, um, in order to, to build that muscle. And, you know, lately I, I uh, equate a lot back to working out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that uh, I've, liked, I've liked to do over the course of my life. And as I get older, I certainly find that I, well, I integrate that and it's been a very important value. And the metaphor, as as a as an uh, as a metaphor, as an analogy to all the stuff that I do, including in the negotiation and leadership, it's such a great metaphor because you build that muscle over time. Mm-hmm. So lately, like last few months, I backed off a particular strength workout that I'd been doing um, because I, I was interested in doing something else. And I found when I came back to it, of course, I had lost some of that strength. Mm-hmm. I had lost some of the ability to lift a certain amount. And so I'm, I'm, I'm having to step, take a couple of steps backwards, even perhaps one might say, we don't, we don't often enjoy as adults being novices. However, it's being willing to be a novice at new things over and over again. I do see that as part of the resilience that I've built over time is to be able to come back and start afresh anew and accept that I'm on the road. Uh, I don't have to be perfect right out of the gate, that progress 
is often better than perfection. Then mm -hmm. perfection is something that we have already. And if we can accept that we are perfect already in, in terms of being whole, mm -hmm. then that frees, I found that that has, for myself, has allowed me to free myself up from that perfection as a, mm, as a, as a, I'm looking at a negative word that I'm trying to figure out how to say this, uh, like a like a stick in a negative way, as opposed to uh, you know it, it's a it's more of a beat oneself up with perfection. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. So that that can be very uh, that can really stops resilience. It doesn't it doesn't help with resilience. We I think we grow. I certainly have found that I built that resilience and grown over time when I when I am more encouraging of myself and can see the progress. Mm -hmm. um, so. How did you get into being a, a negotiator, an attorney? What was it that drew you to that? Oh, well, I'll answer that. There's two different, there's, they're different and related stories. When I first, okay, here's the funny story, is the first time <laughs> I, I, I decided I wanted to become a lawyer, I was in my teens and I was horse crazy. Now, in my family, working class family, we didn't have a lot of money, so I wasn't able to get my own horse. So I thought, I want to get my own horse one day, so I know, I'll become a lawyer. <laughs> I had this idea that all lawyers are super rich, and of course, this <laughs> is not true. I realized that over time. But in any event, the, over time, I came back to that as I, as I went off to university and uh, saw what I, I wanted to do and got interested in human rights and equality while I was at law school. I got interested in women's rights and equality as well. Um, and so when I started out after, here in Canada, we, we have to article after we uh, go to law school before we can uh, practice law, before we can be called to the bar. And um, after I had completed my articles, um, I, I had an opportunity to get hired um, at the Ontario Pay Equity Commission. So there I was. I was able to uh, do some research in uh, law that was helping to close the wage gap. That was the intent of it. still is. Um, to help to narrow it, rather. It never was intended to close the entirety of the wage gap. Um, in any event, I learned through that process when I started working there as a mediator uh, that um, I was helping the parties to negotiate. I was helping the parties to negotiate pay equity plans Mm -hmm. so that they could uh, focus on how they were going to close that gap, the things that they were going to be doing. Unions, so I was negotiating, helping unions and, and employers to negotiate that, and also um, helping employers and employees who are complaining about it to negotiate to find a solution uh, mm -hmm. to their situation. So that's how I started getting into uh, and interested in negotiation, especially when I um, moved into training new mediators um, and working at the commission as, uh, as counsel. I was also doing quite a bit of, uh, training and educating and in, in not only in the law uh, for for those who were applying it but also in how to negotiate how to mediate so that's how I brought the two of those pieces together so it, rather than learning to negotiate as a lawyer practicing law on behalf of a single client I came at it through the third party route as a mediator that sounds that sounds really amazing so um, did you find at the time that you began practicing law that because you are a woman that you had that barrier that you had to overcome well that's a that's a great question uh, certainly at the time i was well aware of what was happening in in the world this was back in the late 80s and early i started working in the early 90s um, there was a lot of of issues that were around as there are even today and certainly even the very nature of starting to work with the Pay Equity Commission, this was, Ontario had the, the world's very first proactive pay equity law. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was very excited to work there. We knew that there already was a gap. We, I, certainly within law itself, we could see that, you know, at that time it was still popular when, I, I know from friends of mine who were uh, young lawyers, new lawyers at the time, that, um, as women, they were often left out of client meetings because those client meetings would be taking place in strip bars. So oh there was a, an assumption that the woman would not care to go, and uh -huh. B, well, first of all, actually, let's flip them around. A, there was an assumption that it was okay to take clients to a strip bar for business, and right. it was okay if the female partners, lawyers were left out of it because, well, they were women, and so how could they possibly understand? The same thing was happening on golf courses at that time. So a lot of women lawyers were starting to learn how to play golf so they could be 
equally uh, visible on in those client meetings that were taking place in in, in golf courses. Um, anyway, over time, we saw, of course, that the that the strip the strip bar meetings tended to wean off um, mm -hmm. as things became a little bit more apparent that this was not going to not going to work for some of the clients as well as you know as things were changing. So absolutely, I found that to be the case um, across law in practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So why is it important for a woman to know how to negotiate? Oh, great question. Uh, well, first of all, we know with, with the, when I was working at pay equity, a lot of the research then was focused on what were the causes of, of the pay gap. And we still see a lot of that being true today. And um, we knew at the time that uh, what we were seeing was that there was a, a, a societal view of what the value of women's work was as compared to men's work. So the types of jobs that women were attracted into or were predominantly female versus predominantly male were paid remarkably differently. Mm -hmm. And so what the Pay Equity Act was designed to ameliorate was to say, well, where those jobs are of equal value to an organization, they ought to be paid on an equal footing. So mm -hmm. rather than being the same jobs, which is equal pay for equal work, um, equal pay for work of equal value is what was underneath the pay equity law in Ontario. And so uh, as a, one of the examples we used to give a lot was, say, in a municipality where they had um, a sanitation worker, used to be called a garbage man, um, and a daycare worker, often and most often women. And so when looking at the different skill sets and the value of the work that was being done to the uh, employer, often those are the types of jobs that we might say they might be of equal value to the organization and so they ought to be paid the same and of course in reality the difference was quite large so the pay equity plans were designed to help organizations Go ahead. Uh, change that over time so they weren't required to do it all in one day or all in one year but to do what how they were going to change that um, over time mm -hmm. uh, and so you know that that's uh, that's a lot of how I got interested in 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 the um, in in it from that perspective. What we didn't know at that time, because the research wasn't there, was how much how much willingness to negotiate or ability to negotiate or even acceptance of women negotiating was going to actually play into this. Um, and so even today, we don't have a clear sense of exactly how much of the gap is is due to. Uh, men's and women's different rates of negotiation. However, what we have known for the last, say, dozen years, uh, thanks to some great researchers from the U.S., um, that discovered that women and men were negotiating at different rates. Mm -hmm. So in 2000, I think it was 2007, Linda Babcock and Sarah Lashaver released a book called Women Don't Ask. And that was based on, on Linda Babcock's research where she was finding that women were asking at a rate of one one out of four, uh, sorry, women were four times less likely than men to negotiate salary in the studies that she was doing. Now this, this has been replicated over time and we see some variations of course over time. Um, and so, and that the, the thing to remember even with that is that even in that study, men were only likely to negotiate 50% of the time. Hmm. When we break okay. it down into ratios, we see that that actually means that one out of 12, one out of women are, sorry, one out of eight women, so 12.5%, women are 12.5% likely to negotiate, men are 51% likely to negotiate, and so one out of eight women were negotiating salary. Um, and now if you flip it over to the other side, we also see that um, when women do negotiate, uh, women tend to negotiate for about 30% less than men, so they ask for less. Mm -hmm. And so from the psychology of negotiation standpoint, um, we know that when we ask for something, we are anchoring expectations. And so if we're asking for less, chances are very good that we're going to receive less as a result. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then it's complicated now because more research has revealed that, here's in some interesting facts. Women are much more likely to be lied to in a negotiation, so mm -hmm. have less access to the real information. Uh -huh. um, and so this is this is important for women to recognize so that we're so that um, that it, the importance of doing the prep work the, the research the um, the doing the homework to get the information to be to be doing whatever they can to ensure that they're getting the very best information and the same kind of information that uh, would be given to a man to test the, the, the truth or the veracity of that 
Um, and then, of course, there's also then on top of that, there's other research that shows that women, when, when women do negotiate, um, and this is what stops many uh, women from negotiating as well, is that when they do ask for more, they're less likely to be liked. Oh, yes. Um, and so how we, how we ask can be very important. And so here's the rub, Michelle, is it's a, it's a challenging place to be in because we might need to do things differently for a while mm-hmm. because of we've got, you know, the society's unconscious, we've got unconscious biases. We all have them. I even find myself sometimes catching myself on what I might um, otherwise believe that I believe and mm-hmm. catch myself and realize, oh, I just, oh, I just felt that. But if I'm not catching it, I'm not able to change it. Right. So this is why it's, it's not a simple answer to, uh, to the pay gap, for example, to say that, well, women should just negotiate more. Um, well, it's good. We, we want to be able to negotiate more because it's not just about salary. It's about everything else after it as well. Mm-hmm. It's about access to uh, good projects. It's about access to the next rung on the ladder if you want to grow your career. Or it's about access to funding if you're an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about getting access, being able to create the relationships. And so we negotiate a lot more than just salary, all those pieces and negotiating for um, uh, maternity or parental leave, for example, negotiating for how you're going to come back from that, mm-hmm. uh, negotiating for, um, you know, are you able to work from home one day a week? Those, these are all the kinds of negotiations that we might want to engage in. And so having the tools and the, and the systems to be able to do that and knowing how um, and also practicing it and building that muscle, I think is hugely important but for both men and women and particularly so for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you, uh, if you come across with enough confidence to ask for the salary that you believe that you deserve, you oftentimes get labeled as, as um, a negative label gets attached to you as to what kind of your personality you have versus right. the nice lady who doesn't ask for right. anything and just takes what she's given. So that must be a really difficult dance. It's like walking a tightrope. Absolutely. And it's interesting you say the tightrope, Michelle. I often use that, that image to showcase when I start to talk about negotiation for women is it is about, it's like walking a tightrope. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, your, your idea about resilience is even all the more important uh, to be able to be able to do that balance, and some of the ways that women can can manage that balance is when we um, are asking for more. We're and some of the researchers talk about this. I know Sharon Sandberg has talked about it as well of being communal, um, and you know Linda Bab- Babcock talks about it. She talks about being relentlessly pleasant. Um, what the way I like to talk about it, and, and this is also very much in the in the conversational intelligence world, is about when we're negotiating, if we can, if we position it, and this works for all negotiators, men and women, if we're positioning what we're looking for within the we as opposed to the I, mm-hmm. that this is beneficial to both parties. As women, we're more, much more likely to A, feel good, because for many women, we don't like to be feel competitive, that can, competition actually turns a lot of women off when they see that in negotiation. Mm-hmm. And so when we can position it for ourselves as well as for the other person we're negotiating with is how this benefits we or, or our teams, uh, that there's other people that are benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. Not only does it help, I think, position women's drive to move forward because they're doing it not just for themselves, they're doing it for other people who are affected by what it is that they're moving towards, mm-hmm. but it becomes something that is more easily acceptable. Again, I'm positioning that in today's world and in how we're, we're seeing both men and women's roles as leaders, as contributors. Um, so you're right, it is a, it is a tight dance we want to be liked we want to be accepted but if we also want to be leaders and to make an impact we need to be able to take that step forward and showcase that we're willing to stand up for something we're willing to stand up for ourselves to advocate for ourselves also to advocate for others and that can really be a real boon in leadership i've seen my clients when they've stepped forward into that arena and their boss looks at them differently afterwards Mm -hmm with respect, with, wow, okay, now I know it, you're in it, mm-hmm. right? Showcases something different as well. 
Yeah, so how did you become so passionate about this? Um, well, I think the passion started back, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when I, when I was in law school and I got interested in human rights and equality um, and how, how we treat others, how we treat each other, um, you know, animals, all of it. it uh, that's something that I'm, I'm passionate about from a fundamental level. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I was passionate about uh, figuring out how to help people have better conversations through mediation. And when I uh, leaned into learning about coaching, I realized that I was positioning myself as even, um, you know, rather than, than trying to resolve the conflict when it's already started, I'm helping people to position their conversations so they have better conversations, better communication, better negotiation. So they're not creating conflict. So I, my, my passion was around that. You know, when I, when I found the research that I mentioned earlier with uh, Linda Babcock around women not negotiating as much as men, I realized I had a similar story myself. Mm -hmm. That even back at the beginning of my career, when I first started, I was hired at the same time as two other women and one man. And we discovered about 18 months into the job that he was being paid significantly more than the three of us. Wow. And thought, wow, how does this happen? And we got, you know, we got upset. We, we went and had our own little kitchen party about it. And then we thought, no, what's going on here? How did this happen? So, and here's key. We, the three of us started to talk and we unpacked what had happened in our, in our salary negotiation when we were offered the job. And we all were told about roughly around the same thing by, by the, the person who offered us the job. And when we talked, we found out later that he was also told something very similar. The key difference was when, when we heard the words, and that's here's the bottom of the range, and these were publicly known ranges, mm -hmm. and that's the best we can do. Uh -huh. What do you hear when somebody says that to you? And that's the best we can do. For, and this is, I think that I ask this question a lot of women, and we tend to take people at face value. Mm -hmm. We don't want to perceive that we're being deceived or lied to, as I mentioned earlier. Right. Uh, now, you know, get into negotiation. Is it a lie? Is it a bluff? It, I think that the, the person who was negotiating with us, she was doing what she'd been taught how to do and had successfully done in many other negotiations, and it's a tactic. It's a position. Oh, that's the best we can do. So it's like saying no, but it's really about no is not never. It's no, not right now. So um, what he knew how to do and what he did and had the confidence to do, the wherewithal, whatever you want to say, is that he didn't take that as a never and he asked for something more. You know, whatever language he used, um, you know, it was, it was something different. So he went back on that and said, oh, well, you know, well, that won't work for me. Um, what I'd like is this instead. And he got what he got something else, quite a bit more than we did. Um, so it was a real big lesson when I realized that my own story connected to these statistics. And, um, you know, having been a pay equity advocate for years, I thought, hmm, this is something that I would really like to see other people, other women not go through if we can help this. So I started speaking about it and found that there's a lot of, of people that this could resonate with. Now, the, 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 the part B of our story is we went back and talked to our manager. And this was key. The three of us went in and talked to our manager together and say, hey, you know, this has happened. Um, this shouldn't really be the case. We didn't know that we could negotiate. We heard this and we didn't think we could negotiate. What can we do about this? And to his credit, he went back and was able to secure a full retroactive pay increase for us oh, nice. back to when we started. So we went in together, which is key, um, and, uh, and we, we asked for it. And look at we ended up uh, closing that gap for ourselves from that day. Um, and I sort of went on with my life after that and didn't really think much of it um, in terms of the difference between us and our male colleague um, until I saw this research and realized, oh, there's something here that we really need to unpack. Mm -hmm. um, how much do you think desperation plays into this um, as how desperate we are to get that job? Does that have some Absolutely. impact? Absolutely. Absolutely, Michelle. Um, what, I, what I do with my clients and when, even when I'm in speaking events is I talk about, okay, so we want to look at how, what matters to you and what's important to you about this, this job that you're going for. So. One of the ways we want to be able to expand it is to know, is this the only option out there? Is it really the only option out there? 
is I think we, what we can happen with us psychologically is we can perceive scarcity. We think that if we're going for this role and we put our hands up to, to, be, to be considered for a new job and we go through the whole interview process, it's like when you go and wait for the bus. If you can't see the bus coming and you don't have an app in today's world that showcase, shows you where the, where the bus is mm -hmm. and you're waiting for the bus and you're waiting for the bus and it's supposed to be here and it's not here, and you, but the more time you invest in waiting for that bus, the more likely you're going to stay and wait for that bus. If you've only been there a minute or two and you think, ah, oh, I don't think it's going to come, you're more likely to leave. Mm -hmm. So this is our psychology and how it works on us. So when we go for that job, if we haven't looked at what are the other options, if we haven't looked at ahead of time, do I really want this? Mm -hmm. And if I'm not interviewing if I'm not interviewing and asking good questions, I may not know, is this the right pick for me? Mm -hmm. So we tend to get into that desperation, Michelle, I think, because we've, we haven't looked at what are the possibilities here. What if I don't accept this job? Now, if, we're, if we don't have a job and we're going in and we're, out and we're looking at this, is that, but we tend to, tend to see that as our only option. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what your other options are before you even start. So absolutely, that feeling of desperation can come. Uh, what I'm getting at is that that feeling of desperation is not always grounded in a strong reality. We can get that tape going through our head telling us that, when in reality, we actually have a pretty good setup without accepting it. It mm -hmm. might be better off not accepting the job if we aren't getting the conditions that we want to have in that role, which, and salary, by the way, is only one of those conditions, mm -hmm. right? We know from research that people leave jobs, the most, uh, the most pressing need that people leave their jobs is the relationship with their boss. Yes. So workplace culture is often what drives people out the door. So mm -hmm. if in our interview, if we're not looking at the employer, are they a good fit for us? then right. we can fit into that desperation pretty quickly. So that's just, these are some of the things I work with in my, with my clients is helping them figure that out so they make a good decision. I often say, Michelle, uh, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal. Yes. So if this is not a good deal for you, then say no. You get to say no as much as the uh, other party can say no to what it is that you want. Mm. I'm thinking about... Uh, going back at some of the, the job interviews that I've had in the past. And um, oftentimes it was a, uh, you know, I have to have this job or I don't get to eat. Um, and also just, just feeling like I was not the one in control. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was subject to the interviewer's whims. Mm -hmm. And so I think that having self-confidence I think would be as to your own value and your own worth mm -hmm. would be something that would be really important yeah it, it is important and it's it doesn't have to be something that you either have or you don't have you can actually build that mm -hmm. and what I mean by that Michelle is that and I see this in, you know in many of the, the women I talk to or I've spoken to before and I haven't even worked with them one-on-one -on -one, but they come to me and say you know I, I heard you talk about this a couple of years ago and I want to let you know what happened to me I went out and tried some of the things that you did and I have so much more confidence now that I can do it again mm -hmm. I got what I wanted but the thing that was more important to me than getting the money was the fact that I know I can do it again yes so because that affects so many other aspects of life too right mm -hmm. and so the confidence Confidence isn't something that just drops out of the sky or you wake up one morning and say, oh, oh, <laughs> I'm suddenly confident, right? That doesn't really happen. I mean, we can definitely do what we, what we, what we can to shore up our resilience, to shore up, um, you know, getting to know who we are, that authenticity, those values, those personal values that are important to us. These are all things that can help to build that confidence. But, and so can preparation. Mm-hmm. So can really good preparation for that kind of negotiation. You know, salary and job negotiations are some of the most complex negotiations there are. So they're worth your time. They're worth your time to spend your time thinking about the negotiation. Thinking about the negotiation as the entirety of the, the from the moment you put in your application, that's the beginning of your negotiation, that the interview is part of your negotiation because that's where you're finding out information. Mm -hmm that you can 
use to make your decisions, to, to expand out on your negotiation. It doesn't happen just when they call you and you pick up the phone and they give you the offer and then all of a sudden you're like, what do I say now? Which is often what <laughs> I hear this a lot, right? Oh my God, they offered me the job. I don't know what to say. What do I do? Mm. <laughs> I want to actually be thinking about it earlier than that. Yes. So I really appreciate the things that you've said. I have some more questions. Whoever is listening to this, you need to stay on. And we're going to take a small break. And then when we come back, uh, Carrie is going to give us some more really great tips. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And our guest today is Carrie Gallant, who is, uh, she inspires and empowers leaders to be authentic, negotiate more powerfully, and to amplify their ask so they can access more of their financial freedom, recognition, and rewards they crave and deserve. So Carrie, I love what you were talking about. What is it about negotiation that you have discovered in your experience that freaks women out the most? Wow. Uh, I, I think I'd have to say that, um, you know, it's, it goes back to what I said earlier about the competition is many, many see that, oh my God, it's competitive. I don't want to do it. Or they'd rather have a root canal, you know, <laughs> and, and men are more likely to see negotiation as a game and the game part doesn't really appeal to many women. Then I say that advisedly. There are certainly, all, it's obviously there are some for whom this is a natural thing. They, uh, we always have the, the outliers in any, any, in any uh, statistics or in any, you know, generalities. Uh, and I find that about one out of 10 women will say, yeah, I, I can sign up for that. I can sign up for that being a game. I can do that. I see it like that. It's fun for me. Mm -hmm. But most women are, they are get anxious about it. And mm -hmm. you know, a lot of men get anxious about negotiation too. The competition part of it, if it's perceived as a competitive um, scenario, they tend to, it tends to turn them off and are much more likely to, to want to do what you said earlier, which is just to say yes automatically and, uh, and just to take what's offered. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things I like to talk about is, it goes, harkens back to something I said earlier about the we, is that if we look at our, at our negotiating, the person that we're negotiating with, if we look at them as more of a partner than a competitor, mm -hmm. it's a mindset that can help shift how we approach the negotiation. So that freak out part about, oh, it's competitive, oh, and also it's a performance, right? So if it's a performance, I'm in competition to perform here. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's also part of that freak out. But when, when, when we reframe it more into that partnership, aspects that this is the especially in a job negotiation i mean look who you're negotiating with you're probably negotiating either with the hiring manager or somebody in the organization with whom you might be in a relationship for a very long time right so we want to be seeing them as a partner more than a competitor do you want to enter a relationship that way yeah that's a really good point yeah so so um have you found that sometimes the fear of negotiation has kept people from moving forward in the careers that they want to have at all? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things we do see um, when we look at, even for MBA 
um, for student for people who for people who grad who graduate from an MBA program, whether it's their newly minted MBA straight out of undergrad or they've gone back, is that the salary gap ends up being higher for MBA women um, than overall, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because these are women who are are going back for their master's in business administration. So they're learning how to run businesses. They're often getting negotiation training from the perspective of it being in business. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't necessarily um, make it translate into negotiating for themselves. In fact, some of the research has showcased that women can be just as good as negotiators as men when it comes to negotiating for someone else or something else. Where there's a disconnect is when it comes to negotiating for themselves. Women can be completely different negotiators in those two um, scenarios, whereas men tend to be the same across those two scenarios. Mm, that's interesting. It must tap into the nurturing gene. Right. So I, it taps into the, that nurturing gene, and it also taps into the I'm putting myself out there and uh, putting myself um, out there differently and negotiating for me. And so that whole worth piece about, you know, where, where women are in society, how they're viewed as leaders, how they're viewed in their profession, it all cascades down. I mean, let's face it, we've, we've had millennia of, of women not working for money, not being paid for, for, for what they do, mm-hmm. uh, being completely um, at the whim to use your word from earlier, being at the completely at the whim of the of, of their male uh, father, their 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 husband, or the male t- caretaker. There hasn't been often a lot of ways for women to make their make be financially independent, let alone but be be able to be financially secure on their own mm-hmm. without their male uh, superior, because that's where they what the person was. Um, so it's only really been in the last 150 years that women have had the opportunity to uh, work for their own wages. So we're in a relatively still young era of these mm-hmm. times. So I think it's fair to recognize that. that yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I know that um, it was just in the 80s when women could have their own credit card without a male to sign for it. And just, you know, all of these things you just make the hackles on the back of my neck go up. Yeah, it's 1976. Um, women could have their own, could get a loan at the bank without a cosign, male cosigner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just it. It's not yeah. that long ago. No, that's true. It really, truly isn't. Right. So, um, my son is um, getting a degree as a mechanical engineer, and we were having this conversation about um, girls, of course. <laughs> and uh, he was saying how sad it is that there's like a complete dearth of young women in his program. Mm. And, and I've said how many, how many women are in the engineering for me, if I could like go back to his age, I would be in engineering. That's what I would do, but it wasn't an option for me. So that we still have, then I imagine, I don't imagine that it's not that there are, are young women who are not capable of being engineers, but I think it's still that social stigma of how much women have to fight yeah. to find a place. So, um, so you have Cheryl Sandberg said that women need to be communal when we negotiate. And Michelle Obama said women need to negotiate hard, mm-hmm. but isn't that kind of hard? I mean, how do you, how do you, yeah. Um, how do you make it so that those two statements make sense? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that that there those are out there for sure. Um, you know, I think both can be true. I think both can exist together, mm-hmm. and it's about finding a way to negotiate authentically. And when I talk about negotiating authentically, is I don't I, I don't think it's advisable for women to try and negotiate like a man. And I'm using air quotes, which your listeners can't see, although you can. <laughs> Um, but we don't want to be behaving like a man because that doesn't work either, right? Because it doesn't fit us. It's not authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't believe it, and they don't believe it. Uh-huh. So it's not. It's not going to. Uh, it, it, it's not going to help the negotiation when we're trying to be something we're not. Um, and so when when Michelle Obama says that women need to negotiate hard, I believe what she meant was we need to stand firm for what it is we want. And so I like to talk about it being firm. Um, being firm and fair. For many women, we want to be fair in our negotiations, but we also want to be sure that we understand what we mean by being fair. 
because we might hear that the other person thinks, says, well, I want to be fair too. But if we don't know what their version of fairness looks like, we might be talking two different languages. Mm -hmm. So by being firm is about being firm and true to what it is that's most important to you in your negotiations. So I call it, these are often called the non-negotiables. And so if you can be clear about what it is you're not prepared to give up, that you're not prepared to lose, then that gives you a place from which you know that ultimately you could say no to a deal because this is the thing that is the most important to you. Now, to back to your earlier point about some situations where you might feel that you're in a situation where you absolutely need it for the money because of your circumstances, you mm -hmm. might be willing to do it for a certain amount of time and say, this thing is really important to me, but so is this. Mm -hmm. And so for now, I'm going to go this way and I'm going to be willing to go here, but I'm only going to do that for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. These are the negotiations that happen internally because we also negotiate with ourselves a lot. And right. so now I'm hearkening into a little bit of that. So sometimes it's really good to get very clear with ourselves about what we're willing to negotiate with ourselves so that we know what it is we're willing to be flexible on and what it is we absolutely will be firm to the end. And we would negotiate hard on those things that we want to be firm about. Yes. And those, um, the negotiation that you have with yourself has to be something actually that when you say it's only temporary, you need to put a date on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I can show a case, uh, like a, a metaphor I often use is there's two things. Negotiating communally is the how, like how we might phrase it mm -hmm. is in our language. And we can still be firm about the thing that mo matters most to us. So if we think about those things as one is like the how we do it and the other is the what we're negotiating about. So I like to think about it like that, that phrase about the, the iron fist in the velvet glove. Mm -hmm. so the iron fist is the thing that you're really firm about and the velvet glove is the softerness. It's the communalness. It's the feminine way in which you're expressing what's important to you or, um, you know, in terms of phrasing it in a communal way that this is important for, for me and for you. It's important for you. And, you know, one of the things that Sir Sheryl Sandberg says that she said in her negotiation with uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg was when he made an offer to her, she said, you know, I know that you're hiring me to be the leader of this organization in, as a COO. And I know in your hiring of me, you wouldn't expect me to do anything less than ask for what it is a man would ask for. And so that's what I'm asking for. <laughs> nice. Right? Yeah. So she produced it as communal because you're hiring me to do this. This is how you want me to show up. So you wouldn't expect me to do anything less. Right. Yeah, so that, she that was it in, his, in his court, right? She positioned it in his corner, in the interest to him and the organization. So it was really nicely done. Yes, that's that's something to take as an example. That's really great. So, um, can negotiating help women in other situations besides salary? What other kinds of things do pe women need to negotiate in? So that's a great question. Uh, so per, there's obviously our personal lives and our professional lives. Professionally, uh, there's so many things to, that we can negotiate on a daily basis. Negotiating with your team, right? Mm -hmm. Negotiating for getting work done. Negotiating for more resources for your team. And actually, I want to peg that one. Even in a job negotiation, the one thing that women, uh, all negotiators should be thinking about, but especially women, is what are the resources that you need to be successful? Mm -hmm. So for example, would an assistant help you be successful. Mm -hmm. Negotiate for that. Mm -hmm. Or negotiate for more hours. Uh, so negotiating for resources is a, is a really good one. Uh, negotiating for time. Negotiating for more time to do something. Or negotiating for a person's time. Negotiating for access to key leaders that are going to help you um, move where you want to in your career. Uh, negotiating for access to uh, mentorship. Negotiating mm -hmm. for um, access to a coach, you know, that's something I help my clients with is, you know, you, you want to be successful, you want a partner um, along the way to help you navigate some of these challenging situations. Um, and how, the person, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to ask you how important communication skills in general are in learning how to negotiate. Yeah, great question, Michelle. Uh, absolutely. Uh, being able to communicate well, to be able to articulate what it is that's important to you, uh, very helpful. Um, being able to negotiate and uh, being able to communicate your ideas. Also, one of the key things in communication that's so important is your ability to listen. Mm -hmm. 
And yes. to listen, not just to hear something that uh, you're looking for, but to listen for what's important to the other person. Mm -hmm. um, to be listening for the opportunities. Uh, to listen in a way that is connecting with that other person. Mm -hmm. Building the relationship. So communication is so fundamental. Mm -hmm. yeah. How you position your ideas, being able to, to, to communicate your ideas. And so what do you think is the number one benefit for women actually learning how to negotiate? I would say the number one benefit is when you learn how to negotiate and you uh, have, you know, practice, you do it a couple of times or you negotiate, you, you practice it. Once you know that you can do it anywhere mm -hmm. and it gives you the confidence to know that you can do it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Okay. Apply, apply it to other scenarios. Like what, what we were just at a, an antique auction on the weekend, mm -hmm. for example. And so you negotiate there often too. You know, um, you can actually negotiate anything. Uh, you can ask for anything. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're negotiating, you're entering into that exchange of value and uh, getting into some, uh, perhaps even, we got into some really interesting conversations as a result of opening up the possibilities for negotiating for an item, uh, for example. Negotiating for a new car, negotiating mm -hmm. for a mortgage, negotiating for a bank loan. These are all things that have other things around them that you can ask for and negotiate if you're applying it that way. So if you are negotiating with somebody and you do have the non-negotiables, is, um, is there a graceful or gracious way to let the other person know that these are non-negotiable that still leaves it open for a discussion as opposed to slamming the door saying, no, that's not acceptable and walking away? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, um, a great technique. Uh, it's, it's uh, called the, the Power of the Positive No, and is actually created by one of the authors of the, one of the original, quote, negotiation Bibles, Getting to Yes, and uh, William Urey, and he wrote this book called Power of the Positive No. And many people will be familiar with the feedback sandwich, you know, where uh, somebody's giving you feedback that you might not like, so it's positioned within between the uh, something good and then the thing that you really don't want to hear, but it's something that's a, quote, might be perceived as negative, and so it's sandwiched in that way. Mm -hmm. So the power of positive no is a bit like that. Both of those scenarios, because people will dread the feedback sandwich because they know it's coming, but it's all in how it's delivered. So again, it goes back to that, that communication skills to be able to position it in a, in a positive way uh, that's going to matter to the other person. So a polite way to decline um, based on the no could sound like something like this. So you'd say yes to, to thank the person for the, what they've been, what the offer that they've made. So I might say, you know, Michelle, um, thank you so much for offering uh, this particular amount that you're offering to me today. I really appreciate uh, your, your coming to the table. Uh, I really appreciate us having this conversation. Um, however, what I was really looking to achieve was I was really looking to um, have something more in the range of X and Y. And it doesn't sound like we're going to get there today. So, um, I, I, if you're interested in, in if you want to, if you're, if you, if there's somewhere that we can go with that, I'd love to continue this conversation. So that's a kind of a chunky, clunky way of doing it. But you know, I hope you can sort of see the yes, no, yes. So I say yes to thank you for the offer. Now, I'm not, but I'm not saying yes to the offer. Right. But I'm questioning what's what's more important to me. Or I might have said, uh, what's really important to me is that I'd be able to. Um, uh, to uh, I, I really like your so I'd say it's a job negotiation I really like your organization um, and thank you for the offer um, I uh, what I was really looking for was something more in the in the range of X and Y and the ability to uh, work from home one day a week and that's that's really something that uh, um, is important to my lifestyle right now um, so can we look at, can we look at how we can close that gap so that's one way we can keep the conversation going. If it's at the end of the conversation, you might say, sounds like we're not going to come to, a, we, don't have a, we don't have a deal here today, um, and I'm really looking forward to staying in touch. Or mm -hmm. I really like your, your good luck with the rest of your, uh, your whatever it is you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. So um, 
how can our participants go about learning how to negotiate and, and master the art of negotiation? Well, there's, there's lots of ways that if, if folks are interested in learning, learning more and want to stay in touch with me, um, I have a, uh, 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 a quiz that I use to help people understand where they are in the, in the negotiation realm. It's the 10 competencies in negotiation. And uh, they can uh, ask me for that quiz and you can see where you're landing. And if you'd like to know more about that, you can uh, um, follow me on my, on my newsletter um, or uh, on, on social media as well. So so those. Yeah. So how do, how do people reach you? Um, my, my website is thegallantleader.com. That's G-A-L-L-A-N-T-L-E-A-D-E-R.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm on social media. My handle is at gallantleader on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And it's just simply under Carrie Gallant in uh, Facebook as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So, Carrie, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners? Ah, well, you know, one of my advice would be to test it out. If, you, if there's something that you're wanting to achieve, try asking. The main thing I want to suggest, though, is try small. Build up that muscle. If you're not used to doing it, start with some small things that, you know, they're, 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 they're small stakes. They're not big stakes. Uh, rather than wait for the big stakes negotiation, like, say, a job offer. Uh, as I mentioned before, these are complex negotiations, and they tend to be pretty high stakes. And, and rather than that be your first try, is to, is to start out and start building that muscle over time, just like the resilience muscle. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carrie. Really appreciate having you uh, visit with us today. And again, you can reach um, Carrie on social media and Facebook is Carrie Gallant and um, at Carrie Gallant, uh, no, at, at Gallant Leader on Facebook, no, on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Thank you so much, Carrie. I I really appreciate, you know, you've got me thinking about all of the things that I have in my, my history going on right now. And, and I look at it and I think, ah, I can use that for negotiating that one. Excellent. <laughs> so so glad to hear so that. <laughs> yes. Well, take care and thanks so much. Thank you. Let me know how it goes. I'm curious. Oh, thanks. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.